0: So if that sounds like fun to you, check it out on this very Voices of Wrestling podcasting network, and Liam will do bits and whatnot.
1: All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Gentlemen's Wrestling podcast. I am your host, Jesse Collings, and joining me today, uh, first-time guest on the show, it's Case Lowe. Case, of course, is the host of the Open the Voice podcast podcast. Right here on the VOW Podcast Network covering Dragon Gate pretty much in depth, more in depth than anyone else. Everyone, do you get tired of that intro case or do you get tired of people saying like, you guys cover Dragon Gate better than everyone else? Do you ever ever get tired of, of people heaping that praise onto you? No,
2: I'd get pissed off if somebody was covering it better than me. At this point, I have a lane. I'm very happy to stick in that lane. And I don't anticipate anybody, at least in the immediate future, i'm I'm open to all of the Dragate discourse imaginable. Trust me, I wish more people talked about it. But I do plan on still being the premier podcast uh, podcaster and writer for said promotion for a very long time. Yeah, I would say like you're
1: yeah, you know, you're like top five.
2: <laughs> it's 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 dave Meltzer who's always right it's my partner mike spears it's alan Forel. it's you know I, I as long as i can be mentioned along those alongside those guys i'm good yeah you know like top five top ten um
1: <laughs> but anyway the, the reason i had you on is because um well we'll get to that in a second but um i want to kind of do the introduction because the title of this podcast is just where is wrestling headed where is wrestling going and this is a big boy discussion case this is uh this is why i wanted to have this show because i wanted to be able to tackle subjects like this and we're not going to be reviewing uh, a show that just happened we're not going to be fantasy booking anything i wanted to have kind of like a really fundamental discussion on what is happening right now in pro wrestling And what is happening right now that is going to influence the pro wrestling product into the future? Um, And the reason I invited you on to talk about this is because um, I was listening to an episode of your podcast with Mike Spears, uh, and I was listening to it because I was told I was put over on the podcast. Accurate. Um, And so I was listening to it, and within the context of talking about something that I had said, um, which we're not going to get into here, but uh, you and Mike started talking about like the style of pro wrestling. And you brought up how Dragon Gate um, had had, and the Dragon Gate style has had a profound influence on professional wrestling today. That's very obvious if you watch kind of any tag team wrestling specifically in the United States. Obviously they had a, the Dragon Gate style has a very important, um, impact on the young bucks who then themselves have a very important impact on indie wrestling and tag team wrestling and certainly like the multi-man matches you see almost every week on AEW dynamite it's all are influenced by dragon gate and the dragon gate style and you kind of talked about how that's like kind of 20 years ago right dragon gate you know dragon gate usa starts when did dragon gate usa start like would you say that it's like probably like 15 years ago now right? it was july of 2000 july of 2009 yeah so 14 years ago drag eight usa starts and um this you know and even before that right you have like the do fixer versus blood generation match um in ring of honor that's a few years before that if i recall correctly
0: Um, yeah
2: that's
1: that's 2006 and that's what really kicks off i
2: guess the idea of the dragate style as anybody listening to this podcast would know it
1: right they come that was a was that wrestlemania week no that wasn't a wrestlemania weekend show no it was Um, it it was it was the first it was the
2: first super card of honor and uh you know, Gabe brought those guys over. That was the same weekend as Brian Danielson versus Lance Storm and Brian Danielson versus Roderick Strong in a 56 minute match. And it was, you know, already a weekend in which more eyeballs were on Ring of Honor than arguably ever before. And then with the Blood Generation versus Do Fixer match, and, and this will be a, a later discussion we could get into, but because Dave Meltzer liked it so much, a lot of eyeballs went on it and, and it changed the entire way that Ring of Honor did business going forward. And that, that all starts in
1: 2006. Right. And it has a profile. Like, it's really interesting when someone's talking to me about that match. I remember this was a couple of years ago, but it was like this discussion was matches that were great or, or matches that have aged poorly. And when you often think about matches that have aged poorly, you're going to go further back in time to maybe something like, Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant at WrestleMania three, which if you were to watch that without knowing really any of the, the circumstances surrounding it, you'd be like, this match is bad. Like fundamentally it is a bad match. Um, but in its time and place, it was perfect. Uh, you wouldn't really think about like that match as being a match that aged bad. If you watch that match today, you're like, damn, this is still great. But the argument that someone said was that the reason that match was got over so big was because no one had ever seen anything really like that in the United States before. Um, and now that has become so common, it doesn't stand out as much. So it is it, I don't necessarily agree that the match is aged poorly, but it's an interesting philosophical idea, which is this match was so transcendent at the time. But because it was so influential and the style that they did would end up becoming so influential, the match doesn't feel the same 20 years later, um, if you were to watch it today.
2: But that's a, that's an interesting talking point real quick, just because. I still think, and and look, I know I'm saying this as the guy that does the Dragon Gate podcast, and sometimes it makes me a little uncomfortable when I'm in other settings to put over the promotion as strongly as I do sometimes, because it makes me come across like a cheerleader, not an analyst, but I want to make it clear for anybody that maybe doesn't listen to Open the Voice Gate that I'm I'm incredibly harsh on Dragon Gate when, when the time comes, when I need to be. It's not a fan podcast. It's, it's critical analysis, but... Any six man tag that you watch in modern wrestling, it's still missing the component that Do Fixer versus Blood Generation had or Muscle Outlaws versus Typhoon or even in more recent years like a Masquerade versus R.E.D. There's a level of polish that happens in, in Dragon Gate Wrestling that the Young Bucks might have and Kenny Omega might have. But the run of the mill standard six man tag, even if it's emulating what they did, they are not replicating uh, the full ideology of what they did. So I will push back on that notion, but I do think that's an interesting argument
1: right yeah and it just exists kind of to kind of position it it, in respects to how influential that match was um and but when we talk about dragon gate we talk about that was so that was 20 years ago almost at this point and so what it it, it begs the question of what is happening now right now in pro wrestling that we're going to look at in 15 20 years and say Wow, that was really the first time we saw that, and now that is everywhere. What wrestlers are out there that we think are going to be the, the the prototypes for a future generation of wrestlers? Um, and and what is happening at every level of wrestling? What's happening in Japan? What's happening on the U.S. Indies? What's happening in AEW? What's happening in WWE? And how are those things? What do we think those things are going to do to influence the future? And I'll start with this point, a very basic point that we can kind of start the discussion with. And that is, I think we're reaching a point where just going out and doing cool moves is not really going to help you get over at all anymore. And, you know, old crusty people will say that that was, oh, you can't just go out and do moves that never worked. But that's not true because there are plenty of people that go out there and have had made incredible careers basically on going out and doing cool shit in the ring. Um, and I think like, if you go back and you watch like early ring of honor or USND wrestling in the early two thousands guys that come out guys like amazing red um, or, or, or if you go to watch like early pack um, they go, guys go out there and they just have this incredible athleticism and coordination. And they do cool moves that no one had seen before. And the people just lose their minds. Um, and they lose their minds in a way that I'm envious of. I'm envious of how cool it was to see a guy do a Phoenix Flash. How cool it was for a guy to do a crazy dive to the outside. And I feel like in recent years, especially because AEW has you know, has guys doing crazy moves all the time. That unless someone truly, truly special, like I think El Hio del Vikingo is, is coming along and just doing this absolutely outrageous, innovative, never before seen stuff before, I think we're kind of reached a point where if you just come out and you do like a 630 Centon and you do like a crazy Canadian destroyer, yeah, it, people will clap, people will will pop for it. But it doesn't have the same kind of, you know, amazement that the audiences of the past had and I think wrestling is kind of shifting away from uh I don't want to say they're not it's not embracing those kinds of you know spot heavy cool move guys but I think fans are kind of shifting to demanding a lot more.
2: It's diminishing returns with you know a- as flashy as your biggest high spot is the reaction is lesser than it was five years ago
1: doing that same move. Yeah, and it just even if it's like someone new that's coming on, like I feel like there's a huge difference between like, you know, like um Sammy Guevara, you know, on the first episode of AEW Dynamite doing a 630 Centon or or doing a a, a big dive through a table and people being like, oh my god, yeah, and chanting holy shit and being really into it. And now it's like people would be into those spots, but it's just not at the same level because I think AEW specifically, every week someone is doing something like that. And People are seeing that on national television. So guys in the indies that might be doing the same thing are not as mind-blowing. Certainly not as they were, you know, in the early 2000s when nobody in WWE was doing that. And, you know, TNA was a smaller thing and there weren't as many people in TNA that were doing that. But you go out and you were to watch, you know, a Ring of Honor show with one of those really innovative, high-flying guys. It's a totally different um, reaction. Um, So to the degree that I'm jealous of, have you ever seen, there's this, really it it made the rounds a couple years ago um i don't even know what promotion it's from but there's an indie match with amazing red i think it's probably from like 2000 or 2001 and amazing red is like legitimately like 16 years old in it and he comes out in like the fans are laughing they're laughing at this. Yeah. There's no way this guy could be a wrestler. Look at him. He's like five foot five, 16 year old 130 pounds. Like the announcers are like trying to put him over, but you can tell they're not like really into it. And then he just does like 200 innovative moves. And the crowd that was laughing at him is like marking out. The announcers like don't even know like what he's doing. Like he's going to the top and he's like rotating a few times. And the announcer's like, he's he, he jumps up. He's spinning around. What was that? And it's just like this incredible moment where it's just like, this is someone hitting the scene, being so innovative and just wrestling in a style that nobody had seen before and just instantly getting over and I just don't think that happens anymore because we're conditioned to expect certain things in, in wrestling. And I do think that that era, which existed for a very long time is coming to a close and I'm not sure what is going to replace that.
2: Yeah, I have, I have a million, a million thoughts in a million different directions we can go there. I, I think it's certainly not to the level of amazing grad. It, it's funny you bring that up though, because I do think that happened somewhat recently with Galino del mall who mm-hmm. is dr wagner jr's son so his, his twice large removed.
1: His, his large adult son
2: yeah it's <laughs> his, his large adult son who went to gleet and then subsequently did wrestlemania weekend on the wrestlecon side of things and i think people were like who whomst does this man This 300 pound is he just going to be like 911 in ECW and just stand there and that will be the most of his effectiveness and then he starts doing cool Lucha things that people go oh this is incredible and it wasn't to the degree of Amazing Red because he's not to the degree of a wrestler that Amazing Red was but I do still think there's stuff capable here. Your big picture question of where wrestling is going next. I, I apologize in advance. I'm going to be incredibly pessimistic on this podcast and I will probably be far too existential even for my liking here. I do think we're at a cultural crisis where we are simply consuming too many things. And I don't know when the cutoff is. It feels like sometime around 2016 culture as we know, it is just going to exist in a vacuum and it is going to become harder and harder to detect trends going forward because we know what wrestling in the 1990s looked like, and we know what wrestling in the 2000s looked like, but as we start to remove ourselves from the 2010s, I think that vision is going to become muddy because what we were consuming from 2011 and the amount of things we were consuming, the amount of things we had available to us compared to the end of the decade in 2019, it was just far too much. I mean, I see a cool move On Twitter every hour, and it means nothing. I'm not, I'm never gonna look at it again. I'm not gonna remember that guy's name, I'm not gonna remember that guy's promotion. It's just on to the next cool thing that I'm going to see. And we're consuming roughly, I I think the stat is you know, compared to 2003, we consume two years of data every three days or something like that, if that makes sense, you know, per scale. We're just seeing too much, so I think it's harder to analyze trends going forward. But I do have a general idea of where I think wrestling is going.
1: Yeah, and I think that's true. Like in the sense of like you write, you follow one GIF account on on Twitter, and you're gonna see all sorts of stuff all the time, which is why I almost think like. It's like on the indies, it's almost irrelevant. Like now, it's almost like someone has to do that cool stuff in AEW or WWE or or maybe New Japan for it to like actually matter. Because yeah, th-
2: I mean, those those are the only places. Maybe maybe stardom, but it there's not there's none other Japanese promotion that really matters right now, and unless it's happening it's you know it's even as as divisive as if it happens on rampage i don't think it matters if it happens on dynamite i i do think it matters it's that split it's that hard to make an impact now
1: yeah and i think if we were to look at like the last 20 years of pro wrestling and we were to look at just like pop culture in general okay where does something new and something exciting where does that tend to start in in culture well i think
2: everybody has a different jumping on point now you know for some people it's tiktok and for some people it's twitter and i i will scream until data says otherwise you cannot overrule the importance of facebook still i mean in my in my shoot job i i you know my life is consumed by the facebook accounts that i deal with facebook is still where the most eyeballs are with tiktok you know certainly uh creeping up on 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 their territory there but it's not you know It's not a network TV show. It's not an MTV. It's not a specific website. We all have a different jumping on point now. We all have a different version of what's cool, and mainstream Gen Pop coolness has never been more muddied as a result. So I know that doesn't really answer your question, but that's kind of that's kind of where I land with that question. Right.
1: Our our what you're what you're getting at here is our monoculture is long dead. Yes, And because it's our culture is now so diversified, I think you said, identifying trends is going to be way too difficult because the trends are going to be smaller and less significant because people's interests are going to be so scattered. Um, What I'm getting at here is I think like whether it's wrestling, whether it's music, whether it's filmmaking, whether it's fashion, whatever kind of art or cultural thing you want to get at. Um. It's going to start at the grassroots level. The, the the you know the innovative music is going to be played at small clubs. The next you know be- best big thing in fashion is going to start in someone's you know basement where they're sewing something. Um, in wrestling, especially in the la- over the last twenty years in the United States, innovative wrestling is starting on the U.S. Independence, and it's starting with young wrestlers who have different creative ideas. That have nothing to lose by pursuing some sort of new bold direction and um post wcw post ecw where wwe wasn't really interested in signing a lot of indie talent and tna was kind of restricted on how much they wanted to invest in signing indie talent there were guys who had years and years and years to kind of polish their craft which is you know why the young bucks spent so much time on the u.s independence or why someone like kevin steen or or sammy Zayn, el generico um samoa joe aj styles um obviously the latter two spent a lot of time in tna too but they had years and years to kind of refine whatever new style they wanted to push in professional wrestling and they innovated and they did stuff and a lot of pro wrestling today the major stuff even if you know, those guys are all big stars, but even the guy, even the ones that aren't them are still kind of in some ways paying tribute to them and in, in their style of wrestling. Um, even in a place as, as stodgy as WWE has been, you look at the way most of the WWE roster wrestles, and it's very similar to the way a lot of ring of honor wrestlers wrestled, you know, eight or nine years ago. Um, the Usos wrestle completely differently than when they first started. The Usos wrestle like the young bucks now. Um, I have been told they're better
2: than the Young Bucks by some people even.
1: Right. But but like then that's one of the funny things is like it was also like clearly influenced by the Young Bucks. Yes. Um and so if I were to like to get pessimistic on this, I would say, are the US indies innovating anymore? Um and are the talent that is interested in innovating getting the time to kind of experiment and refine that innovation? And I would say that they're not. I would say that the talent on the Indies is in a situation because AEW is so aggressive in signing new talent and WWE is, you know, waxes and wanes on how aggressive they want to be in signing Indian talent. At some points, they've been extremely competitive in trying to sign everyone under the sun. Other times, they've not looked anywhere close to the indie talent. But in general, because WWE and AEW are both so interested in pursuing indie talent, anyone with a smidge of potential is signed up very quickly um and and that that
2: is so dangerous but we also this is where i struggle when analyzing the modern u.s scene because we have to remember that the golden era of indie wrestling existed out of incompetence you know wwe was too stubborn tna was too stupid and that's how we have at one time cm punk brian danielson roderick strong samoa joe all you know that's why At the same time, Gabe and Super Dragon and Quackenbush and and even CZW, all of these guys were able to get rich on talent, and it's, like you said, we've gone too far in the opposite direction. The pendulum has swung too far, where now, one good weekend, and I think about Marco Stunt when I think about this, one good weekend, and you can get a contract from AEW, and I, you know, on one hand, I respect that Tony Khan loves and appreciates good wrestling, but... The the business instincts that he has, the fight for survival, the arms race of talent, is negatively impacting talent development overall.
1: Right, if talent is just going to be signed and they're not going to be given a, a ton of opportunity to break out on their own, they're not going to get a chance to refine any innovative thing that they're doing. Like it's it's cr- like I always I always there are there are plenty of wrestlers that this example could be used, but I always point to Kevin Steen just because. He was so obviously talented, both from a promo standpoint and from an in-ring standpoint. And I know he didn't necessarily have the look that WWE really wanted, but he was just so obviously gifted. From like the time he was sixteen, it's ridiculous that he had like ten to fifteen years on the indies where he was just you know wrestling in Ring of Honor, wrestling on other indie shows, and like it's like in a completely different universe from today. Like no one would ever he wouldn't have two years on the indies.
2: No, um, I, I think I think 2008 Kevin Steen, right as he and El Generico are in the thick of it with the Briscoe brothers, I think they're getting signed. And with all due respect to Kevin Steen, who I love and I'm I'm elated for all of the success that he's had, 2008 Kevin Steen was probably not ready for a national TV contract. Now you could say, okay, by 2009 2010, you know he was not wasting time in ring of honor, but he was bigger and better than that promotion. But still he would have never been able to get to where he's at now without all the time that he spent marinating for lack of a better word in the indie scene. And that just doesn't exist now.
1: Right. Nick Wayne is already signed to AEW. Yeah. And he signed like last year when he was like 16 and a half years old. So um, that kind of tells you where we're at. And, what does that mean and what was so like what's happening on the u.s indies now and i'm not gonna i don't want to paint the u.s indies with a broad brush there's plenty of good stuff that's happening on the u.s indies and in many different promotions from coast to coast but in general the two the two trends that i've seen on the u.s indies over the last few years the things that are getting popular on there the first is deathmatch wrestling and the second is a like comedy meme style wrestling and those largely became popular as a survival tool because all of the talent that was actually good has been to get signed either by WW or AEW. So the people that are left are people that neither of those companies would have any interest in, which would be the heavy, heavy deathmatch guys. And, you know, your, your effies and your alley cats and your you know kind of meme comedy you know, parasocial social media people. um, And I don't think those are like positive trends for the industry. And I don't know how that's going to be replicated. I mean, sure, you might get some more deathmatch people, although I already think like the the era of peak US deathmatch wrestling is probably over. I'm not a huge deathmatch fan. So some other people could probably better elaborate on that. But my understanding is that deathmatch probably peaked a couple of years ago. Um maybe that, that seems
2: that seems to be my understanding i i don't know i i have one friend who is extremely into gcw and even the vibe i get from him is that the the death match stuff is not the draw that it once was
1: yeah like i know nick gage has really cut you know he's slowed down and he's not working nearly as many matches as he once was and there's been you know all sorts of of scummy indie drama um going on um not just in GCW, but just kind of across indie wrestling, which that's always gonna exist. But I think that's right, the deathmatch scene in general. But those are like the two trends. When I look at like, okay, what are what is being innovated on the indie scene? Like, I don't know what else is there. Like, um, and that makes me concerned because if there's no innovation happening on the indies, what is gonna influence? You know the major promotions. If that's not going to happen, it's it, it. It does feel down. Come down to what is AEW doing that's new and different, and what is WWE doing that's new and different? Because I don't know if the indies have the ability to influence wrestling the way they did. You know, five or six and, and certainly years ago.
2: What do you think from your perspective? What promotion or promotions? Are the tastemakers right now on the indie, and it's not, it's not a trick question. I, I I think the answer is fairly obvious, but what do you think in twenty twenty three? What indie or indies are the ones setting the tone for the rest of of the, for lack of a better term, mainstream indie scene? I mean, I, I would have to
1: probably say GCW, right?
2: Yes. Yeah. Okay. That, yeah. That's that, that's what I thought. I just I I wanted to be sure that we were on the same page before I. I launch
1: into a, a, a yeah. diatribe here. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say like it feels like we're on Gen Two of the US Indies. You know, there was a Gen One which lasted a while. Um, you know, after the collapse of 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 you know WCW and ECW and that kind of birthed the interest in alternative wrestling promotions outside of WWE and TNA, which you know led to, I think what like. No one wants to hear. I'm sure no one wants to hear two guys in their 20s like like act, act like um, wax poetically about what wrestling used to be. But you know your your golden age, Ring of Honor, your golden age, you know, Chikara, uh, Evolve, PWG, um, Dragon Gate USA. Those were like your kind of Gen One indie promotions, and those are basically all gone. The only one that's still around and uh, it's kind of similar form is PWG. And it seems like kind of in the wake of the, kind of those companies going down for various reasons, you had your GCW, your Black Label Pro, your Beyond Wrestling um, kind of emerge as kind of a new independent brands that were gaining some sort of traction in the wake of like the death of Evolve and Shakara and those promotions.
2: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think – I think there's three generations, and this is just more me thinking about this now. I, I think Gen 2 is post cruiserweight classic through the start of the pandemic, where there was co opting involved and there was money involved with Flow Slam. And it went from, you know, if you want to say the start of the modern new scene is 2002 with the birth of Ring of Honor, 2002 through 2015. You're you're doing this artistically, you know, indie wrestling exists because it's an alternative to what's going on. And you see in 2016 through the early parts of 2020, indie wrestling exists as a way to get signed by WWE. You know, the, the pathway to Raw and SmackDown is not like a chaotic wrestling in the Northeast or a, a Northeast wrestling where it's... You know WWE light. You know it's it's not a work rate indie. It's a showmanship indie. That changed and the mindset changed in 2016 with the Cruiserweight Classic, and then now I think we're in this Gen Three stage. And I have not been shy about this on Open the Voice Gate because over the last half of last year, a lot of Dragon Gate wrestlers spent time in America, and so we started talking at length on the podcast about the US indie scene, and it's something that Mike and I care about anyways. You know, at the start of the pandemic a few years ago. Mike and I watched every Drangit USA show and not only broke down the shows themselves, but we broke down Gabe's emails and the drama on the indie scene at the time. And this, that, and the other thing, you know, we, we tried to give a real three hundred and sixty view of that time period because we were, you know, sort of the, some of the first people to revisit, say a 2010's independent show and look at it from a historical perspective. And I say all of this to set up the fact that I I think we're in gen three of the U S indie scene. And, I'm not shy about saying this on the podcast. I think GCW is cancerous towards the professional wrestling industry. And I know that sounds harsh, but I I mean it. I think they're bad for talent development. I think they're bad for industry growth. I think as long as they are the trendsetter, and they are more so than a West Coast pro, more so than an AAW, more so than even a Beyond Wrestling or any one of the IWTV properties, they are, you know, like you said, I, I asked you the question, you said GCW. I think most people listening would agree. I just think they are are terrible for the industry. They are terrible for what they represent. And it's not a bias. Brett Lauderdale has never done anything to personally wrong me. Professionally, I just find him to be incompetent. And I find his track record, whether it be – the guys that ha- were GCW mainstays that have gone on to sign major contracts, a Joey Janela who flamed out in an the AEW, and I think clearly wasn't up to snuff with the rest of the roster, or you know a Blake Christian or an Alex Zane, guys that wound up in the Performance Center, and in in my opinion, were some of the weakest WWE signees that have that have ever occurred. At least major indie names that the company has signed; those guys were at the very bottom of the barrel. Those guys didn't work there. Now they're back. Or, like you said, you have the Effies and the Alley Cats and those sorts of wrestlers. I have a fundamental disagreement with what wrestling is compared to names like those wrestlers. And that is what concerns me. That's why I said I was going to be pessimistic. I'm very concerned about the future of pro wrestling. And the styles and the trends that are going to unfold, because I just don't think they're in the right hands. And, you know, I I would love for Chris Hero's West Coast Pro to all of a sudden be a buzzworthy promotion. And Friday nights, the people in our Twitter bubble and beyond are staying home and we're watching Titus Alexander in a big title match because we have that level of investment in it. But we don't. That doesn't exist. And the thing that does exist, the thing that that people care about the most is something that is actively bad.
1: Yeah, and I think that's just a symptom of like all of the great talent gets signed really early. And so the the talent that has some level of name recognition because they've been on the indies for years. There's a reason that they've been on the indies for years. Um, and there's only going to there's it's going to be hard to find people that. I think like you and I are gonna like as wrestlers. It's gonna be a yeah, lot of I mean, like comedy guys and people like that. Just it's a it's like GCW gaining so much popularity and kind of becoming the face of indie wrestling is largely just a symptom of the arms race from larger promotions um, and the the drain on talent and and this elements like the pandemic hurt talent development because indie wrestling didn't exist for a year or so, um, and so this talent that needs to come along um and so so there's kind of a weakness there but in general i think it's like that emergence is is a symptom of kind of what happened to indie wrestling um because of the arms race and because anyone that flashed any level of potential was going to get signed by either wwe or AEW or even you know signing with impact and, or working in working a lot of new japan dates and just not being as you know relevant on the indies as they once were
2: it's concerning to me when they anoint Tony Deppen as the work rate guy. And over the last six months, Tony Deppen has wrestled the following wrestlers. He's wrestled Yamato. He's wrestled Leo Rush. He's wrestled Junakiyama, He's wrestled Negro Casas. He's wrestled Sh- he's wrestled Shigehiro Irie. He's wrestled Brian Keith. And he's wrestled Zack Sabre Jr. And I think those are pretty elite names. And I've watched most of those matches. And the ones that I haven't seen... It's not like anybody's, you know, running into my DMs to go, hey, man, you got to check this out. And the matches that I watched, I certainly wasn't running to my friends going, hey, man, you got to check this out. And so I guess I want to make my stance clear uh, because I I was so harsh on GCW a minute ago is, you know, the reason I I don't like them is that I don't think they care. You know, um, like Gabe Sapolsky is a flawed human being, and I unfortunately find myself at times at times defending Gabe, which is never an advantageous position to be. But I, I think Gabe genuinely cared about wrestling and about developing talent and having a product that maybe aesthetically didn't look good, but a product that at the end of the day had a professional stamp on it. And I I don't get the vibe from the core GCW crew that they like wrestling and they don't have to like my kind of wrestling. I don't want every wrestler, I guess, rather, I don't need every wrestler. I would love every wrestler if they just watched grand Hamada tapes all day and said, this is what I'm going to do with my career. I actually think the industry might be better off for that, but I'm on an Island there, but it's a, I don't know if it's a, a symptom or I don't know if it's a cause or an effect rather where the, industry standard for wrestling criticism and wrestling analysis is so low that it creates a culture where when GCW is the trendsetter, like we said, now all of a sudden the bar for their work is so low. Because let me ask you, Jesse, other than VoicesOfWrestling.com, who we're obviously affiliated with, it's not a plug though. Do you know wrestling websites that still will sit down and do a full match-by-match show review with detailed thoughts on every match and a star rating at the end of it? Does that exist in your bubble? Because it doesn't really exist in mine. Just in general? Like, any for any
1: promotion? Yeah. Like, the Observer does it. Like,
2: Dave does it. Dave does it to a painstaking degree because he's more so going move by move and not necessarily off of the emotion of the match, which is more so just a a difference in in writing philosophies. But I feel like when I was breaking into this bubble, which was a decade ago, and I really enjoyed listening to your podcast with Garrett Kidney, because it was nice to listen to a podcast with wrestling fans who have 2000s cultural touchstones as when they were getting into wrestling. And then 2010s touchstones is getting into uh, for lack of a better term, the Hardcore Wrestling Intelligentsia, because I feel like when I broke into what do you this mean bubble... For,
1: what do you mean by for lack of a better term? That's an excellent term. As It's a Joe Lanza term. I'm stealing it, it, it straight is. from him.
2: Um, so I, uh, that's for lack of a better the term. The Hardcore but... <laughs> Wrestling Intelligentsia. I feel like there was a point in time where it was... Cool is not the right word, but it was in vogue to watch... And discuss and critique wrestling. And I just feel like that has gone by the wayside. Like and I, I ask this question on Open the Voice Gate a lot. And I I never I never hear an answer that is what I'm I'm looking for just in terms of satisfying this question. So you obviously have a different listener base. If somebody is listening to this podcast and maybe, you know, they're 19, 20, 21 years old, and then go, This is how I, I broke into this bubble, this is how I know about this podcast, and this is what the people my age are doing. I would love to know, but I know for me, like I broke in and it was like, okay, there's Alan Forel and there's Dylan Hales and there's Joe and Rich and there's the pro wrestling only forum and all of these people fucking care about wrestling and they're going to write paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs about the wrestling that they watch and they're going to recommend this to you and they're going to recommend this to you and it was very easy for me to get lost in a world of footage in a good way or, you know, almost consumed to an overwhelming degree by the amount of footage because I was talking to people that really cared about what they were doing. And part of that was long form match analysis. And that has gone by the wayside. And so now we live in a world where if you're an up and coming wrestler, the standard for you is much lower because you can have a 15 minute match. And instead of a Larry Zonko, rest in peace, or a TJ Hawk, somebody who I had, uh, very
0: strong
2: arguments with by the end of his time as, you know, a, a wrestling reviewer. Cause I, I don't believe he really talks about it anymore, but you had people like that, who if you had a 15 minute match and minutes six through 11 were a train wreck, they would call you out for said train wreck. And it could affect your stock as an indie wrestler, especially with Larry Zonka, who people really cared about his opinion. Now, if you have a 15 minute match and matches six through 11 or, or minutes six through 11 are a train wreck, But minute 14, you do something really cool. Minute 14 is what matters. That gets passed around, and all of a sudden, your bar for development is lower because you do the one thing that can get you booked on the next show, and it's not relevant whether or not you can put together a competent 15-minute match. And I think part of my disdain towards GCW is that somebody like Brett Lauderdale Uh, makes that worse he leans into it he leans into that ideology and thus nobody gets better as long as they work for him
1: right you talked about like this has been brought up a few in a few different places but if you go if you were to go back to like the golden age of of us indies whether that is chakara ring of honor evolve all those promotions were like yeah they you know they would have wrestlers and they'd have guys just go out there and do cool moves and things like that but they were all storyline driven to an extent and there was like we're gonna put these wrestlers in storylines and they're gonna have feuds and it's gonna progress from show to show and we're running enough for it to make sense we're not like we're running once every two months um and wrestlers are not just guys who come in for for you know a 15-minute match and have a 15-minute match, and that's and that's it. There's storylines and and kind of they're real pro wrestlers, they're not just guys having matches. And that's kind of lost on the modern for a variety of reasons. I think the economics are different. A lot of promotions aren't running with the frequency that they're gonna need to to kind of make that work. Um But but, but it's, it's lost different.
2: even on the it's lost even on the talent that's involved currently. And I I will once again, have to come to the defense of Gabe Sapolsky, always a terrifying position to be in, but, you know, he had that dust up with Effie a month ago, and I don't I don't care about the bulk of the argument, who cares? Effie's, this is his, his peak, if it is one, he'll never go anywhere further if he does great. I, I fully support uh, what he's trying to do for marginalized groups in pro wrestling. I just happen to think he's a lousy pro wrestler and an annoying presence. But, you know, he described Gabe's career as essentially, you know, working with CM Punk at the right place in the right time. And again, I'm sorry, but that's just a, a complete misrepresentation of the work that Gabe was able to do. Forget just with CM Punk, but you know, I, I don't know where you stand, but if you've ever seen a 2008, 2009 Johnny Gargano match, this was certainly not a guy ready for national TV. He wasn't ready for the elite tier of independent promotions at the time. And through working with Gabe consistently, For six or seven years straight, Gabe fostered him and developed him into a guy. You know, we forget how good Johnny Gargano is now because at the end of the day, he's a Disney dork and somebody who uh, at one point was the best thing about NXT and then his own vice's made him become the worst thing about NXT. But there was a point in time where Johnny Gargano was one of the best wrestlers in the world. And that is the kind of thing that Gabe would do for him and for Roderick Strong and for James Gibson and for Christopher Daniels. And to just say that, oh, he worked with CM Punk and that's why he's relevant is factually inaccurate. But I genuinely think with the modern indie scene, especially if you're... Uh, In a position where Gabe is not going to get you a job, given his current role, that is your thought of him. And that is a, a gross misrepresentation of almost 20 years of American wrestling history.
1: Yeah, and there's no... Just the environment of indie wrestling is so different than it was, like... Uh, A big thing for me. It's very bad now. now GCW is is the exception because GCW does run with a great frequency and they would have the schedule and the ability to kind of put together things if they desire to do that, which they don't, which is the kind of the ultimate disappointing aspect of GCW. But just like the idea of like, I'm gonna have you know storylines and feuds. Like, what was the last? I'm sure, I'm sure people can point out the things here and there, but what was like the last feud on the indies that you remember like people talking about? Oh like a God, real that's, feud. That's such like a great two, question. Like two wrestlers just having a series of matches over the course of maybe a couple of months. Um, well, I, the, the first thing that comes to mind, cause I
2: I'm, I'm now trying to think of a genuine answer for this. I don't know if that was a, um, a rhetorical question or not, but I I'm going to make sure it isn't. I, I can certainly point to Darby versus Ethan page outside of the Gabe universe. I mean, God, I, I don't know. I mean, AAW tried a lot of different things with Sammy Callahan. And I think you could, this will uh, sound unintentionally like a put down towards Callahan. I, I think you could make the argument that Callahan versus AAW was certainly an attempt at that, but, I, you you have stumped me. I would love to know what the last notable U.S. indie feud was because Darby versus Ethan Page is the the for sure one that comes to mind.
0: Yeah,
1: just jump. This one that just jumped out to me is David Starr versus Joey Janella and Beyond Wrestling
2: um okay and that that would be a little bit later i would assume
1: like right. 2018 2019. 2019 2019 you know they, okay they had the iron man match um at the you know the american rana 2019 show um but i like i'm talking like pre-pandemic and yeah like back back when david Starr had a wrestling career um and so you know pre in in, in you know basically pre AEW i think aw had existed but dynamite hadn't started yet um by that time so i just like and, th- and that's the whole thing and, and the reason i the you know spend so much time talking about the indies is because i do think that the indies are the tastemakers for the broader wrestling picture but we want to shift a little bit more towards like the major wrestling promotions and kind of respectively what they're doing um i'll, I'll i want to I bring this up with wwe because i do think so if we're if i'm operating under the 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 um idea that The indies because of the various reasons which we all just discussed you know have lost their ability to influence wrestling what is going to influence wrestling that's probably going to be the innovations and the ideas that we're seeing in wwe that we're seeing in AEW, perhaps in some smaller promotions like impact or mlw but realistically we're looking at that and i've been thinking about this in wwe recently wwe has done some different things uh, over the last few years and i've been thinking about a couple of them and this is all from a match structure standpoint the first is i think these roman reigns matches where he cuts promos in the middle of the match i'm wary that that is going to become some sort of industry staple for big matches And that in the future, we're going to get like storytelling and pro wrestling is going to be like the wrestler explains the story to the audience at home while they're wrestling the match, which I can't stand. And I'm going to if that's the future of wrestling, I'm going to turn into Jim Cornette. But that's something that I'm deeply concerned about. Let
2: me ask you this, because like with with modern WWE, I am aware of things that are happening simply through the wrestling media that I consume, but what I actually watch of that product is so very little. It has the Roman Reigns talking during matches. Has that died off a little bit? It was my understanding that wasn't as prevalent anymore, but maybe I'm incorrect. I mean, did he did he if- for instance, did he do that in the Cody match? Yes. Oh my God! It okay, probably right, okay. That's... It
1: probably peaked during like the Thunderdome era.
2: Yeah, that that was kind of my thought. But if it if it was relevant it's, and Zayn or the Cody matches, then it's, it's still, still relevant.
1: it's still relevant. And if you watch the um the six man tag from Backlash, which is not even a Roman Reigns match, it's the Usos and Solo Sikoa versus Zayn, Sammy uh, Riddle, and Kevin Owens. Oh, like God. the like the, the Usos are doing it. Too like it's like we're be- we're gonna stomp on sammy in the corner and we're gonna make faces into the camera and be- you could have been one of us Oosh. you were like family like just like this over dramatic stuff and i obviously some, some people really respond to that it's not for me it's not for you but some people really respond to that and i'm worried like we're talking about what are these companies at the biggest level doing And this is a match that the most fans are going to see and the most 10-year-olds are going to see that may grow up to become pro wrestlers. That's what they're seeing. And they're going to think that's what a main event wrestler is. And, you know, we know how wrestlers like Shawn Michaels influenced just an incredible amount of people. And that was largely because not only was Shawn Michaels very talented, but Shawn Michaels was the WWE champion and was this super push commodity for for a huge portion of his career in the biggest company in the world. And I do wonder if like, we're going to have, I don't know if we're going to have Roman Reigns clones, because I don't think he's someone you can really clone just like we don't really have like rock clones or we don't even have John Cena clones. These people that have these looks are hard to clone, but the uh, I do think that I'm where I'm wondering, like, is that something that we're going to see more of in pro wrestling? Is this, is this the new, Way to tell stories in pro wrestling instead of like the traditional way, which I think most people would prefer. It's instead going to be this you know, you talk during the match and explain the story to so the you know, the slowest of belt mutants can keep up with it. Um,
2: <laughs> do, do you think that style of wrestling is it is the talking during the matches is that done to? as an in-ring style, or is that done as a production quirk? You know, because I'm having a hard time gauging the idea that somebody might be doing this in front of 30 people. I I don't know if it's merely uh, a symptom of face the hard cam, don't pay attention to the audience, and looking at it as more of a production staple than an an in-ring staple, but I, I, I guess I'm curious as to what you think about that
1: it's probably a combination of both like you're right I don't see somebody you know on like a deadlock pro show um like doing that necessarily but I could see it in the right setting um that kind of style being told and look there's been elements of this that have existed in wrestling since the industry began right like guys talking shit in the ring that's not like a new innovative idea but there's something about the specific WWE production quality that makes it a bigger part of the match than I think most people would want it to be. And there's also this element to like, I think like Roman Reigns is like, and in, in, maybe this is a Paul Heyman idea, like philosophically, my matches need to be these, if I'm going to have these big sweeping epic long matches, I'm going to tell my story this way, which is like, there's going to be a t- 10 minute heat period where I'm just going to be stomping on a guy and punching him. And I'm going to need to fill that time with storytelling. And, and historically in wrestling, if someone wanted to tell a story, they would do it mostly through physical action and emotion. And this is really reliant instead on verbal, um, in, in in a more extreme way than we've ever seen before. Um, yeah it, think, it, it's certainly bad I mean I don't I don't like the direction that it's going I, 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 I get the sense that like whether it's WWE or Roman himself like I think that they think they're doing like high art and they're oh, certainly oh getting my God, pra- yes. and they're certainly getting praised from their fan base or a certain segment of their fan base that thinks that they are I would always tell people I'm like there's something con- there'd be, I'd be concerned if like the people that are like the bloodline is the greatest storyline of all time and I was like the bloodline is like the most simple storyline to understand of all time, because it's extremely repetitive. The matches tell you exactly what's happening. They tell you exactly what's happening in the matches. They they tell you, they physically, verbally tell you what's happening in the matches. It's the easiest storyline to follow. And if it's your favorite storyline of all time, God bless you, but it makes me think you're an idiot because it's it's it's, a, it's not, it feels like it's the only storyline you've been able to comprehensively follow because it was dumbed down or like I said, the slowest of belt mutants, the lowest common denominator, can understand it. Um, I, I'm with you. You know, I, my hope,
2: I, you since the beginning of AEW is that the phrase I've always used is that they will help de Kleenex professional wrestling in the same way that tissue is now a synonym with Kleenex for our entire lives. Because you're still you're, you're in your late 20s, correct? Yeah, I'm 28. Okay. Yes, I'm. I'm 24. So, my you know, WCW closed when I was two. My entire life, everybody my age, and these are now people that are in the workforce. That you know, if they're well off, own homes, or, or at the very least, are college graduates. You know, our entire lives have been defined by a monopoly on wrestling. WWE is wrestling. That is the only wrestling. TNA never had any cultural significance in the way that AEW did from their first show onward. So I've always used the phrase, I would like for AEW to de-Kleenex wrestling. And I think WWE has hit this point, at least I hope. I'm going to be so saddened if I'm incorrect. But they have hit a point, uh, I think, very akin to like a, a Coldplay. The band Coldplay... They're massive. They're undeniably huge, but they no longer make music with any sort of cultural significance. They might release an album that has a number one single as the number one album in America. And the next time they come to Chicago, just like they did the most recent time, they'll sell out two nights at Soldier Field. But did anybody really hear the new Coldplay album? You know, it's it exists in this vacuum. It's again, it's the splintering of gen pop. And I hope that we've now hit a point where WWE is so removed from the idea of pro wrestling. And I think both that, that is happening and that is their goal, that those quirks that exist there will stay there. And that the hive mind, both behind the scenes and the puppets in the media that promote these ideologies We'll keep it within the bounds of that promotion and that in AEW and on the US Indy scene. And God forbid it ever spread to Japan. If it spread to Japan, it would be, you know, kiboshed immediately. I think this is something that you're right in the sense we will see it grow within the context of that promotion. I hope and I pray and I don't think it will grow outside of there.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a real point, which is that WWE is so far removed, and they themselves believe that they're so far removed from like the rest of the pro wrestling world that their ability to influence the rest of that pro wrestling world is limited. Um, I think the other thing that I'd be really, con- I'm like kind of concerned about is like the Dominic Mysterio, like we're gonna boo Dom to be fun meme, and we're gonna manipulate the crowd audience so the crowd thinks that. You know, he's getting more heat than he really is. Or it cheats the crowd to boo him if they're listening at home. Oh, my God, look at all the people booing Don Mysterio. When I go there, I better boo him, too. And there's there's something very hollow about that, inorganic and manipulative. And wrestling has always been about manipulating an audience to get a desired reaction. But there's something so, like, um, unorganic about that. And about the idea of like, yeah, you're gonna boo this guy, but we're not really gonna boo. We're booing him because we want to be part of the show. And there's this level of self awareness, and there's this idea of like, we're gonna just straight up change the audio on our broadcasts to give off the desired reaction we want. And it's so phony, and it's so inauthentic, and it's creates this hollow emotionalist product. Um. And I don't, I don't know if another wrestling company would ever kind of have the production capacity, for starters, to kind of do that. Um, but it is like, if I'm looking at what is some new innovative thing that WWE is doing that is something that comes to mind.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, if any other promotion started doing that, if I found out that AEW was, you know, forget piping in noise, but simply just manipulating audio to a degree that it creates something that isn't there, I, I'm out. You know, I I won't make the bold declaration that I'll never watch again. But any emotional investment that I have in that promotion would just go by the wayside. And I think it's embarrassing as WWE continues to just swarm up media outlets to have the the cushiest analysis possible. That this it, this is something that people have just accepted. It's bizarre to me that they just they just started doing this, and everybody was like, okay, and. Dom is getting great heat. That was the fallout of all of this was just mere acceptance and compliance. And I don't know how you get to that point where, uh, you know, I, again, Joe Lanza made that point in the flagship last week and you just brought it up there. The, the audience is there to be a part of a show. They're, they're not there to boo Dominic cause they don't like him. They're there to boo Dominic because that's what you're supposed to do. And that is, that is embarrassing to be a part of, if you accept, uh, if you accept that as your role as the audience member, it's embarrassing that we have members of the media, specifically in high-profile outlets like The Ringer, where they excel in and every other thing that they cover, they have the worst wrestling analysis possible. And they play along with it. it it's all so bad, and, and it it gives me hope that again they will just exist in their own universe, and we can eventually get to a point where AEW. Ring of Honor, the Indies, uh, you know, uh, CMLL, New Japan, Drangate, they can all exist in a universe, and, and, and only those factors can affect that world, and WWE is just off on its own planet, and only they can affect themselves. I mean, that is my long-term goal of what I want to see. Whether or not that happens, I don't know.
1: Well, I think it's already kind of happening, right? I think, like, AW is far more influential on the on the in like the rest of the wrestling world than WWE is.
2: The, the, the of- only the only thing that isn't there is just merely the arms race for talent, and I guess we'll see. You know, with this idea that there's a, a hiring freeze on the Endeavor side, if if that is the final nail in the coffin, there, I just I, I want to get to a point where they have nothing to do with one another.
1: Yeah. And I think like with WWE really going much heavier on like, we're going to sign these college athletes and we're going to put them on NXT TV and they're all going to come from the Performance Center and that's our future. And we're not going to be signing, you know, the Johnny Gargano's of the world, the Tommaso Trampas of the world, the indie wrestlers coming up that are going to perhaps steal the spotlight from these These greener college athletes, they will have a whole army of, and I don't know if they'll ever be good. I don't know if they'll ever be popular or over, but they have the whole army of people that were maybe don't have a huge natural passion for wrestling. Don't really know anything outside of WWE, but this is their careers to be a WWE superstar and their entire Um, You know, perspective of pro wrestling is shaped on what they're taught at the Performance Center, which is just so different than what seems to be taught anywhere else in pro wrestling. And that will help cement further the company away from a company based on with any connection to the rest of the pro wrestling universe right now, because so many of the wrestlers on the WWE main roster are wrestlers that have gained experience working for other places outside of WWE. It's still very there's still obvious connections with, with the rest of the wrestling world. But if we're moving into the future and there's not going to be your Sami Zayn who spent 15 years on the US indies before getting signed by WWE, there's not going to be a Kevin Owens. There's not going to be a Cody Rhodes who went to AEW and learned and you know went to the US indies and had learned this whole new perspective on wrestling. Um those people are not going to be signed. Uh, you are going to see that connection kind of severed. Uh-huh. So let me let me bring this up real quick, because if we're going to talk about the future of
2: wrestling, I think, you know, talent development, and you and I are not speaking as wrestlers nor trainers, which makes this conversation a little bit awkward, but I do think we have to, in the same way that I was, I was quick to point the finger at GCW and say, you guys are the problem, you guys aren't developing talent, you guys suck, we do have to look at the two majors for just a second and realize that one, and I think you would be on the same page with me here, that... The Performance Center has now existed for a decade. And I personally believe we should all we all have a duty, myself included, and I don't do this. We should all log on to the internet every day, and whether it's in an email thread with friends, a message board, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we should all log on to the internet every day and remind all of our followers about the abysmal failure that is the performance center. We don't, as the wrestling media, make a big enough deal about just what a colossal waste of time, energy, and money this thing has been. And when I asked this question about a year ago of, okay, who is is the shining star in the decade that this building has been around? One, I I had people say, you know, Kevno and Sami Zayn. No, okay, that's not what I'm looking for here. But I got a list of NXT women's wrestlers, and I personally find uh, that, style of modern WWE women's wrestling to be insulting because of how awkward it looks and how light the strikes are and how choreographed it all seems. And I got Braun Strowman. And if you're hanging your hat on Braun Strowman, you have done a terrible job there. So I I don't feel bullish about the future of wrestling if it's in the hands of the performance center.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I mean, I feel the same way. I've done plenty of performance center bashing on here I've done a lot of it on WrestleNomics as well. Um, It's just, I think, I just think their philosophical approach to what they want to teach these people to do is just different than anything else. I was watching, um, there was a WWE pay-per-view match from last year. I believe it was Baron Corbin versus... um, madcap moss
2: (laughs) oh my god Um, this already sounds so bad by the way go ahead
1: in the match itself like the match was bad in such a unique to wwe way because fundamentally the match wasn't like super problematic like no one botched moves no one missed stuff by a mile. They didn't blow spots. Like there was nothing wrong from a, a fundamental aspect. It's two guys who were very good natural athletes that have a decent amount of experience being in a wrestling ring and executing their moves and things like that. You, both- you
2: very rarely see in contemporary wrestling blown spots and and botched moves in the way you did in the '80s oh, and '90s, the, yeah. The, the, look, the as, as negative as I am about the future of wrestling, the
1: standard of wrestling has gone up S- exponentially. Specifically, wrestling on TV. As long as yes. it's not, except for NXT, but like the, but yeah. Like if you go back and watch like any like episode of television wrestling, like the number of like straight up one star matches that existed are are would be like incredible. Like if a it's match insane. Was, if you read like an old observer, like if a match is like two and three quarter stars, it's like oh, you know that's pretty good. Um, I mean, it's, you
2: know, it's the, I, I don't know if this reference will make sense to you specifically, but like Segunda Keda, who is a website that still does in-depth wrestling analysis, long-form match reviews. I, I love them. I happen to think most of the writers are insane in the in the things that they prefer about wrestling. But, you know, they will look at late-era WWECW C W like Christian Cage and Matt Hardy and Fit Finley as this pinnacle of television wrestling. And it's not that it's bad by any means, but given that we live in the dynamite era, you go back and watch some of that's like a nice three-star match for Matt Hardy, but it's like, Oh my God, Matt Hardy had a three-star match on TV. This is so much better than anything I've ever seen.
1: Yeah. It's like, like, like I said, like, like a good WWE match will be like the third best match on a dynamite episode of dynamite. Oh, completely. Um, but, uh, but there's a, um, but yeah, so I was watching this 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 Mad Cat Moss, uh, uh, Baron Corbin match. I, I got to get back on track here with the, with this incredible story that I'm going to tell. And so the match fundamentally is fine, but it was so uniquely bad in a WWE because these people have like no actual charisma. They have like this performative charisma that they teach in the performance center, and it's like, you know, Mad Cat Moss is he's going to throw, you know, Baron Corbin into the rope. Ropes, and he's gonna give him a clothesline, and he's then he's gonna look at the hard camera, and he's gonna make a face. And I know backstage, WWE like, yeah, yeah, good job. That's that's what we want you to do, Madcap. That's that's that's, t- that's me- telling a story, brother. Yeah, that's that's how that's how we do it. But I was just like, man, these guys have no individuality. They wrestle like robots. They wrestle like everyone else that they teach in WWE, and they're doing exactly what management wants them to do. And if the future is just like an army of these, you know six foot three, 250 pound guys with good bodies that are doing all these things. Nobody is going to get over. They're going to be given these wacky gimmicks like we've got happy Corbin and we've got madcap moss that nobody cares about. <laughs> um, and it's like, this can't be your future. It just, it, it can't be. There's going to be no emotional attachment from the audience, but. Um, I, I would at least prefer that future where they're over
2: six feet tall because that at least- that that offers something. I'm so much more bothered by I was specifically named Sol Ruka, the the woman at NXT because uh, the the faux athleticism and the the faux junior heavyweight wrestling that occurs in that promotion, i I on open the voice gate. we we'll, we we record on Tuesday night. So we'll record as NXT is going on. and, if I see a gift that annoys me while we're recording at the end of the episode, like I'll, I'll have Mike and I live react to it because, you know, look, my philosophy on the future of wrestling is do what Gate is doing because they've uh, developed talent throughout the pandemic that are now leading the promotion. They have an army of wrestlers younger than 25 that are ready to step up and headline their five major shows of the year. If you extend that to younger than 30, that's basically Uh, everybody relevant on the roster at this point, minus one or two names, but it's insulting to me watching Dragon Gate, these guys that are machines that wrestle 150 times a year and never make a mistake and do things at a lightning quick pace. You know, I always say a three and a half star Dragon Gate six man tag is a four and a half star match uh, in America because it would just... It would blow people's minds at the precision and the execution of what they see. And then I see Sol Ruka cartwheel into a head scissors at a, a snail-like pace. And it makes me want to pull my buzz cut out. I have no hair, but it makes me want to pull my hair out because it is, it is so horrific. And that bothers me more. And I'm afraid that wrestling is actually going in that direction of this uh, almost, you know, it's, it's like diet dragon gate it's like people know okay if we do cool spots the audience will pop for it but they have no understanding of what it is that they're doing and so they're devaluing the entire art form as a result of it
1: i think we're talking about like with nxt which is like we're going to go out and we're going to get all these people that are athletic like real athletes from college which they've been doing forever they've marketed the idea like the n i the end in the in the next in line the nil name image like likeness Deals are new because they're new to NCAA sports, but WWE's kind of used that as a marketing scheme. Where it's like, we've got this new idea. We're going to get college athletes and we're going to recruit them to be pro wrestlers, which has existed um, for a hundred, literally quite literally. It's been, it's been their philosophy for 20 right. years. They've the, tried to know, get the, college wrestlers for 20. That's Johnny Ace's whole thing. Yeah. I mean, oh, college football players like The Rock, <laughs> <Yeah>. like Steve <laughs> Austin, <laughs> like John Cena, like Roman Reigns. all of your (laughs) biggest stars were college athletes the undertaker um randy savage i I guess randy savage wasn't a college athlete because i don't think he went to college but he was a minor league baseball player um but like the but but they get these people who are legitimately athletic and i'm sure that you can do like if you were to do like a comp like a nfl combine style thing with which they do do with these these wrestlers they would do very very well and they'd look very impressive and The, you know, the women they get are athletic and they can do these moves, but they're kind of told, taught to do them kind of at half speed. And they have this idea of like, just do some cool things that will stand out and create a moment and will be on a GIF on social media, but there's no actual connection connectivity within their matches. It's like, and, and they're often doing them at half speed because they're green rookies, and what they're doing should probably not be on national television, um, I, I do.
2: I do want to be fair and just briefly. I guess I, I I don't mean to direct your ship, but I I do want to bring up AEW in this discussion because I do think it's worth mentioning. You know, this is a promotion that's been around for four years now, and I don't I don't have the philosophy uh, or understanding of what it is that wrestlers should be doing to ascend to the next level. But I I am a little concerned with the fact that. You know, a Lee Johnson or uh, a freak be- freak beast, Nick Camarado, who who by look alone should be the world heavyweight champion or, you know, even like a Max Caster, guys like that. Uh, I- anybody that was involved in the factory, uh, a jungle boy, even, you know, powerhouse Hobbs. They have a lot of good young wrestlers, but I've yet to see anybody with the exception of MJF specifically make the leap in AEW from being a good wrestler to a great wrestler, because think about who dominates, you know, for lack of a better term, the spreadsheet matches in that company. It's Kenny Omega and the Bucks and Moxley and Phoenix. It's guys that were, were going to be good and going to have great matches, whether or not they had Tony Khan behind them. It's the second generation of guys where, you know, has jungle boy gotten better in four years? Yeah. But is he a great wrestler? No. And, the the guys that are involved with the factory you know i loved that gimmick when it came out because i was like oh cool these are young guys that i'm going to be able to get behind they're like prospects that you know my my favorite thing is is you know supporting a a young wrestler that's part of the reason i love Drangate so much is they just pump out all of these new kids and they're all super talented this is going to be the equivalent of that and none of none of those guys have really worked out and it's less on the surface you know I can point to NXT and go this is why I hate this wrestler this is why I hate this wrestler they all suck I don't know what the problem is in AEW but I do know that there's a problem with guys ascending to that next level yeah I think
1: part of it in AEW is that AEW's added a lot of pop talent so guys get pushed down the card further, which makes it harder for them to stand out. That like. that, that makes sense. I think I think that's a very right fair right. Critique. When the company first started, I I don't want to use the four pillar branding, and I don't want to talk about the four pillars oh, that much. God. Oh my god! I, I I want the four pillars to go away. Well, well, like, but like the idea is like when it first started, like these are the four guys we're going to build around a company because they're all well under thirty at the time, and um, you know, there we don't have a ton of top talent but since that very first aew show just think about all the people that they brought and they brought in brian Danielson, they brought in adam cole they brought in CM punk um you know they bringing they just brought in jay white they're bringing in all of these people that are going to kind of have to be pushed at a certain level um and it made it much more difficult for that new talent to start out. Like if you want to talk about drag, like one of the reasons Dragon Gate has the ability to kind of have a lot of young wrestlers and push them right away is obviously it's a a very strong uh, fundamental view of the way the company is run that, you know, and they've never been shy about out with the old and in with the new. Um, But part of it is because they needed them they needed to have new stars because yeah. guys like Yoshino were, you know, had to, re- you were retiring guys like BB Hulk had serious injuries. They, you know, this is, you know, your, your old guard got older. Shingo left. Um, yeah. I mean,
2: look, Shima left and Shima took two, two main guys with them and, yeah, and a the third future, and, fu-
1: and, future guys. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and Lindemann and T-Hawk and he, he didn't, it, it didn't work out due to injury, but you know, the not to dive into Dragon Gate lore here, but the, the main scare when Shima left was, okay, Shima's gone. That's going to hurt us at the box office, but Shima took Takahiro Yamamura, who for all of the young dragon gate guys that have come through over the last decade, Yamamura was the golden boy. I mean, he was the one that everybody expected to ascend to the top of the card and it was doing so. And then he has had some of the worst luck with, with not only injuries, but serious life altering injuries uh, in in modern, uh, in modern history, at least that I can remember. And, you know, I know he's trying to come back to the ring, but I, I hope he doesn't because he is, it's it's uh, very similar to Tua to Iloa where even if he can do it, I don't want to see him do it because I, I've seen oh. him go through so much pain yeah. where it's just like, I don't, I don't need this. But
1: anyways, right. My point is, is that there was in Dragon Gate and other promotions that have succeeded at this, there was a real need to elevate that talent in AEW because they've added so much talent that they just can toss into the main event and kind of have to, based on if they're paying them a lot of money and and obviously the star power aspect of it has kind of put some of these talent from a storyline perspective in the backseat. Now, is that, is that talent getting better? Like fundamentally are they getting better at pro wrestling? I think that's a fair question. I think are they wrestling with enough are they wrestling with enough frequency to get better? I think there are a lot of promising wrestlers in, in AW you mentioned Lee Johnson, guy like Alan Angels, guys that you know, AEW signed and just really haven't done anything with them. Um yeah, I I always I always point
2: to Nick Camarado because I just, that that guy, for as open-minded as I am about what wrestling is and what it could be, I look at the Freak Beast, a man who, by the way, goes by the name Freak Beast, and I go, that is a pro wrestler. He should be pushed as hard as possible, as soon as possible. And he came in in the pandemic, you know, he came in those dailies play shows, and every time I see him wrestle, I... He's not he doesn't seem better than he was in 2020, and that's what concerns me. Now I do think the point of hey, they don't need them is very fair, and and I I'm glad you mentioned that because I hadn't really looked at it from that perspective, but I do I do worry about it becoming a pro wrestling Noah situation where they had Misawa and Kobashi and Akiyama and even Takeyama and then and then what? You know, uh, Kenta and Mirafugi had the talent, but they didn't have the box office pull. And they're now on 20 years of being able to really uh, produce a worthwhile wrestler from their dojo, Kaito Kiyomiya included. So th- it's just an endless cycle of pushing old guys, having it not work, trying a new generation, going back to the guys that are older than the new, new generation and rinse and repeat. Uh, and it will be that way until the end of time.
1: Yeah. And so I think those are all and th- I think those are all fair. Fair aspects of of criticism aimed at AEW. I think that you know, eight like like I think AEW's like biggest influence is just educating a population on non WWE style wrestling. Like you mentioned, like people our age don't remember WCW. I never watched a single episode of WCW. I was six years old when it closed. I was five when it closed. Um, I didn't really start watching watching wrestling until two thousand five. So long after, you know. W, not only with wcw closed but kind of the invasion had come and gone the you know goldberg had had you know come back to the company and left the company like the first major i didn't watch it live but like the first major ww match i can remember like building up towards is the john cena versus jbl i quit match at judgment day which is famous for john cena being very very bloody uh, <laughs> Yeah, but that's like what I remember. Like that's that's and that's years removed from WCW, and I'm almost thirty. So, uh, yeah. I mean, look, I,
2: I was a child when the when WWE CW started, with no knowledge of what had come before. I, right. you know, my my childhood knowledge of ECW was Rob Van Dam and CM Punk at the Big Show, and then Sabu, who was super over with me until. Until he no longer worked there, but yeah, it's yeah, I, I, it's it's nice to have a, a similar cultural touchdown there. Like I said, it was very fun listening to the Garrett Kennedy you episode. You don't
1: remember and, the Attitude
2: Era case? I, yeah, it's it's well, that's you know, that's another trend where okay, so even if you have young wrestlers that are are watching wrestling, I don't trust that they're watching the right things. You know, I always harp on the idea that there was a point in time where talent got snatched up and things were happening and things were transitioning and Ethan Page all of a sudden was like a prominent indie restaurant. It's like, well what what horrible nightmare are we living in where this attitude era cosplayer suddenly has has pull and he and mentions. some people are going to pay to see him. It's awful.
1: Well, you mentioned Tony Deppin kind of is like now like the ace of the Indies, oh, um, and it reminds me of like when a like a, a, a sports team, like an NBA team, like they just traded away their best star player. They're going into total rebuilds, and like they need to have a player that's like on the cover for the programs. And yeah. Like, so, like I remember the first time LeBron left <laughs> Cleveland. And it was, like, the opening night for the Cavs the next season. Like, the guy who gets, like, the hammer spot in the, uh like, starting lineups. I think, yeah. it, was Mo, I think it was Mo Williams. And it was, like, <laughs> yeah. is Mo Williams, like, the most disappointing person to be, like, now in, like, the, everybody get hype spot. And it's, like. It was, Anderson it Varejao is yeah. built different. It was LeBron last year. And it's one of those people. Zrunas Elgalskis is hey, leading oh, this okay, team to oh, glory. Hey, hey, this is. Case, case, calm down. This is not a podcast that slanders Sidronis Zilgowskis. No, I, I have nothing bad to say about the it. The gentleman's <laughs> wrestling podcast loves Big Z, um, <laughs> but uh, to, to to touch on like I guess like AEW again is, I think AEW's job that's basically going to be AEW's job, and and but I do think like AEW basically taking all of the and to get back to kind of my original point about like big moves kind of fading away as far as a, a real. Taste making kind of thing is AEW has kind of um like uh because it's it's company has has taken a lot of the what was popular in the U.S. Indies and brought it to national attention. By doing so, has kind of ended the period where that style of wrestling could be innovative and and it can be still influential because people now it can be seen by the masses, but it's still. It kind of ended the idea of like, this is the new experimental cool stuff. It is now mainstream. It is now part of the culture. What's next? It has to be something new. Um, I I want to bring up something really quick. Um, yeah, please. It it was uh you know an article that was written on Voice of um, and it was by um you and uh Cameron. And, he mentioned something kind of really interesting. He talks about kayfabe and like. And that's a big aspect of um, uh, you know wrestling today. Is that kayfabe is completely dead, and promotions are kind of often thinking about how they can get around it. And something he mentioned he he, he talks about AEW and how AEW uses this idea of by t- they spike they, by, by acting like we're telling the truth, but still kind of speaking in kayfabe. It creates this image where um, AEW is able to get to work quote unquote work fans, but by doing so. And he he mentions um an interview with John Moxley where he mentions this thing about Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks. And Moxley says, a lot of people out there hate on the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. We're obviously attacking them and have our issues with them, but we are not old ass fucking bitter dudes with podcasts talking about how the business used to be. It's us against the universe. That attitude is AEW at its core. The idea is that like John Moxley is shooting there, which he 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 might be, but he's also speaking in a kayfabe sense because he knows that's the image he wants AEW to put out there. And Ewan mentions that like what we would consider the new kind of kayfabe and work aspect of professional wrestling is in a lot of ways what we would consider, you know, marketing or branding um, of this idea of we're gonna peel back the curtain and we're gonna explain to you what's real about us but it's all still done under the veneer of this is entertainment for entertainment purposes only. Um, And the wrestlers that best use social media do that as well. And you see that both in AEW and WWE, but I think a huge part of AEW's image from a business, from a product standpoint, is this idea that we are the alternative. We are the new thing. We are not like WWE. um, And they hammer that home as much as possible because they understand that it's a valuable position to be in. And I do think that that is kind of like a new interpretation of where wrestling is headed and what kind of way, the way we're going to tell stories, the way we're going to get talent over is going to be utilizing that idea of working with the idea that fans know it's fake and how we can kind of use that to our own advantage. I think it's a really, I don't know if it's good. I don't know if it's bad. I just think it's very different than what we had seen previously in wrestling history when it comes to trying to get stuff over.
2: Well, I like it because I don't want wrestlers to be my real-life friends, and I I think that is where there's a a real disconnect, especially with wrestlers on the indies, where, look, I I get it. It's a hustle. You know, you got to sell your shirts to make some more money, but I refuse to buy into the notion that we just have to accept that wrestling is fake and we shouldn't try to persuade people otherwise, and... uh you know there's there's no point in pretending to to kayfabe anything anymore that is, that is the worst philosophy you can possibly have i really liked one i really liked uh uh ewans ar- ar- article on com. i also really like the way that tony Khan handles most of this stuff i i love uh You know, gossip. I I love wrestling rumors, but I also think in the same way that we've lost long form match analysis, it has been traded in instead of everybody having a website where they review matches. Everybody is now just aggregating quotes and it's led to, uh, first of all, just a, a horribly toxic discourse, but wrestlers and wrestling promoters need to use that to their advantage. And throw away the idea of merch table culture or on the national TV level, this idea that you're you're friends with any of these people and they need to lean into this. I I, I fully support uh, the, the Moxley quote, for example. That's exactly what I'm looking for from a from a pro wrestler. I, I almost wish they would lean in harder to it. And from the little bit I've seen of this all access show they're doing, I, I wish it was. I wish it was presented a little bit more like wrestling was real. I still buy into that concept, that that wrestling should be presented as a sport and not uh, all of this behind-the-scenes access going, so here's how Britt Baker and I put together this match.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I was talking to Brandon Thurston about this over the weekend. Um, specifically, Brandon mentioned that there's like this, so so this goes back to like a Vince Russo era, of WCW, and the idea of like the work shoot and things like that. So 20, 25 years ago, there's this whole concern, which is that kayfabe is dead. All the fans know that the product is real. So the only way, how can we, and because they know it's fake, they're going to have, it's it, they have the false assumption that because wrestling fans know it's fake, they're not going to have an emotional investment in the matches. And the way to kind of work them is to do these work shoot things where they pretend that they're acknowledging something that's real behind the curtain, but it's all still a work because everyone's just pretending that they're acknowledging it and pretending that they're making some real quote unquote comments um, about something. And this idea is this is the only way we can still work the fans is by leaning into those aspects of it. And I think that element still exists in pro wrestling today, this idea that we're going to swerve fans and we're going to try to, uh, you know, tease something and then, and then ha, we worked you marks. And I think that's still like this idea of what wrestling needs to do because that's how wrestling existed before, which is all the fans allegedly thought it was real, even though they didn't. Um, And so, and I think that uh like the future of wrestling and the future of wrestling fandom needs to to for for wrestling to reach its 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 modern potential it needs to embrace the fact that the fans know that it's fake understand that the fans um know it's fake but but present the product as if it's real and i think most wrestling fans want to You know, like we talked about like WC, WWE fans, like, oh, they want to be part of the show. Like it's a negative thing. And yeah, there are elements to it too, but wrestling fans in general want to be part of the show. They want to cheer the good guy. They want to boo the bad guy. They need to be sold on why they should do those things to a degree. But the idea that wrestling fans are incapable of an emotional investment because they know that it's fake um, or the only way they can really get riled up is because if they think something real is happening or something real is going to happen is ridiculous the, the we're at the point where wrestling fans are watching a show live the same way they might watch an avengers movie or they might watch star wars or something like that and i think you just have to embrace the fact that our fans are smart Our fans are going to react to the stories that we're going to tell. We need to give them a reason for why we think they should cheer for the good guy and they should boo for the bad guy and why they should be supportive of this intended booking result. But it has to come from a a place of a lot more respect for the fans than the old ways, which is like, how can we trick these fans to manipulate them into a reaction instead of embracing the idea that your fans the fans are willing to really willing to suspend their disbelief and that's oftentimes i really run up against people who look at wrestling super critically is because they seem to lack absolutely no ability to suspend their disbelief and i just don't understand how you can be a wrestling fan like that because it's fucking wrestling like how could you ever be a fan of wrestling without the ability to just suspend uh, you know, your disbelief for a brief moment.
2: I, I always think of, there, there's a very famous Dragon Gate match, it's Shingo versus Masaki Mochizuki from 2015. And I think it's, if not one of the 10 best wrestling matches of all time, it's certainly falling into my top 25. And I remember logging on to the Pro Wrestling Only Forum, and somebody had had written this very long match review about everything that was wrong with this match, And it's you know a 25-minute world title match or whatever. And they're like, about eight minutes in, Shingo throws two weak-looking punches, and that's where they lost me. And it's just like, well, what are you just don't you don't like this if that's your complaint. You just don't like the art form if two quote-unquote weak-looking punches are gonna take you out of this thing. It's the same idea as like, oh, there were too many rope running spots. It's like, well, you go watch MMA. This isn't for you, but. I think to to put a bow on, on what you eloquently said there, you know, I'm not convinced that the new generation of wrestlers necessarily like wrestling. And I know there's a faction of wrestling media that will shame you for liking wrestling. But I do think, and Tony Khan has proved this, that there's a very large fan base out there that primarily wants to consume in-ring good wrestling. And I think the future... Uh, although it concerns me from a talent development standpoint, uh, there's very few times in history where there's been better wrestling. And I, I'm glad that AEW is at least fostering that on a national TV front.
1: Right. And AEW for, you know, the plenty of faults it has. Um, and this week, despite the, the many, the positive announcement yesterday has had, I also exposed some of the faults that AEW has. Um, ultimately, I think like you're right. It's a, it's a product that is leaning into the idea of let's put out good matches let's put out let's make exciting things happen on a wrestling show let's present new characters give people that maybe ww wouldn't present as top stars and it has been warmly embraced by many more people than i would have expected i don't think aew gets nearly enough credit for the fact that only a few years ago largely. The same wrestlers who are on AEW now were wrestling in front of like maybe a thousand people on a Ring of Honor show.
2: Oh, they absolutely don't get the credit for it. And, 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 and the, they, the, they won't in the current media landscape. The,
1: the fact that AEW just basically emerged as a company that could do 750,000 to a million viewers each week and be a top, Dynamite can be a top five. Show per, on its night and cable television, and they can get another kind You know, another hour of Rampage. They now have another two-hour show on Collision. They're obviously not as popular as WWE, but just basically going from where non-WWE wrestling was pre-AEW from a popularity or a mainstream popularity standpoint to what it is now. The amount of people that know who the Young Bucks are, the amount of people that. Will pop for a kenny omega match in america there's there's hundreds of thousands of more people that they've added over the last few years than what existed before and i think that it kind of got taken for granted because they hit that level so quickly and now people are like "Well, when they started they were doing this and now they're doing this and it's actually worse and tony khan doesn't know how to grow his audience and tony khan doesn't know how to reach the casual fan all the stuff that people say um and i just think it's the the actual immediate established fan base that aew was able to produce that has led to them being a, uh, what appears to be, we don't have the details yet, but the appears to be on the path for a very financially successful company has been mostly underappreciated. I think in general,
2: I, I guess the, the positive, the the positivity to come from this is, you know, we're, we're not at a point where it feels like American wrestling is on the brink you know, this this industry is going to be around for a while now. If you want to flip the conversation to Japan and, uh, you know, we, we don't have time to do that right now. But I, I I would warn people, especially if you have not listened to the Open the Voicegate episodes we've done with Dragon Gate J, who is uh, their English commentator. Uh, if if you have any investment in Japanese wrestling, I, I would really go back and listen to the most recent episode we did. It was like three weeks ago. You can find it pretty easily on the Open the Voicegate feed. You know, we only lost one Wrestling company in Japan during the pandemic, which was Wrestle One, and that was going to close with or without COVID. And that's that's not speculation, that's a fact. That that company was done in April of 2020 with or without COVID. But because everyone has survived, I think it has possibly given people some false hope. Whereas in reality, thank God that New Japan and Startup have a corporation behind them. Thank God that no one DDT have a corporation behind them. And thank God for the LEC corporation who make home cleaning products, their owner is, is a literal money Mark. And those three factors, two major corporations and a money Mark have helped keep that industry alive. So things are not as perky on the Japan side of things, but at least in America, there's money behind wrestling. And that's not going anywhere.
1: I I was going to ask you this really quickly. Um, Do you think, because we started talking about dragon gate, obviously the influence that dragon gate has had on American wrestling in general, do you think from like a product standpoint, Dragon Gate is still innovating or are they just ex- still excelling at a pattern style that has been developed for a long time and become the trademark of the company? I think they're
2: innovating. I just don't think the right people are paying attention to it. You know, I I made the point about four years ago now to Alan Farrell. We were on a podcast on, on his show on, on Pro Wrestling Torch. And we were talking about at the time this this young generation of rookie wrestlers, you know, Shun Skywalker and Dragon Dai and Kaito Ishida, who was a few years into his career, but he had been injured, so he was on their level. And, you know, I started talking to Alan about, you know, man, these guys these guys wrestle really differently than a Shima or a mochi or a Shingo. They're they're kind of doing this bantamweight style that is is less high spot oriented and more like, like knockouts could happen in drag gate matches. Like they're doing high spots, but they're, they're more physical than they've ever been. And I think the drag gate house style, although I will always maintain and I, I fight some people on this, you know, the The idea of Dragon Gate as a promotion is the same as it was during the hot period a decade ago. It was largely the same as it was when it was Toriman. You know, The idea of Dragon Gate is the same, but I do think the in-ring style has shifted yet again to something that looks different than a New Japan, looks different than an All Japan, looks different than anything that's going on in America. I do think they're innovating in terms of that overall house style and the moves that are going on within it, but... Dragon Gate to the English-speaking consumer has never meant less than it does now, so it's not influencing the way that it should. Right,
1: and we, we talked about it briefly. Like a lot of the Dragon Gate wrestlers, some of the, you know some of their biggest stars were in the United States working U.S. Indies, and so you know it's not like they had bad. There were, there weren't good matches that took place, but it didn't seem like um there was really any buzz about it at all. Um, and that's just that a lot of that is just just into the U S Indies. I know that I think some of them struggled to get, you'll know a lot more about this. I did. Some of them got struck, struggled to get consistent bookings, which is ridiculous oh, oh, when you yes, consider um, the state of, of,
2: of, of I mean, that talent. was that. So SB Kento, who, if you've never seen him wrestle, he's basically dragon gates, Adam Cole, in the sense that he is immensely talented. He at 21 years old was a star. I mean, a headlining star, and it was one of those situations where you went, oh, my God, if he was three inches taller, imagine what he could be. Because even for Drangate standards, he's pretty small, but they shipped off SP Kento to America last year. He was based in Mexico and then based in Orlando. So he could work both Mexico and America. And he eventually caught on in Mexico. Uh, there were some people over there that when he initially was shipped over, they were like, nah, don't get it, whatever. Those people are now super into it. So he won those people over. But there was a weekend I think it was in October where SB Kento was very public facing about it tweeted out he's like I'm in Orlando somebody book me I want to wrestle on your shows and it was it met with silence you know I talked to US indie promoters because once they found out that there were draggate guys in America a lot of promoters reached out to me and were like okay what what are these guys doing you know if there were five or six names available I would say well you you should be looking at these guys. These guys are available. And if you have the money, they can come too. Like that was kind of the way that I broke it down. And every single time SB Kento was available, promotions would go with Yamato instead because Yamato was around in Ring of Honor and Dragon Gate USA. They know that name. And even if somebody like SB Kento is a big deal in Japan, which he is in the context of Dragon Gate. That 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 star power means nothing because people are only going to remember Yamato versus BB Hulk from the first Dragon Gate USA show. That's their knowledge of Dragon Gate. It doesn't extend beyond that. We're and somebody in, like SB Kento yeah, is, is shit out of luck.
1: You're stuck in the nostalgia loop, like you know, the like the major promotions in the USI, or it's just like yes, it, well, you no, know, p- you know, look, we're, you got to put people. You know, we got to put Edge in this big match because people remember <laughs> Edge. You know, or, people or, still or, think Dragon
2: Gate is Blood Generation versus Do and. I, I'm I'm always baffled because I try to consume any bit of English oriented Gate content that I can find. So uh, you know, the the Reddit thread every once in a while will will just randomly post, you know, hey, it's Do fixer versus blood generation it's free on YouTube, and I'll just read comment after comment after comment of God, these guys are so good. How can I, you know, I, I should really be watching Drangate. I, I how can I watch Dragate? And then it just never Manifest itself in anything. I mean,
1: I feel like that's always the. Damn, this joker. Chris Benoit match is really good. I'm watching. Oh I gotta, I gotta, I gotta watch WWE. <laughs> it's obviously like, an extreme example, but it's but, the same time period, which is like this yeah. is something from 20. This is something from almost 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, 20
2: years ago. I I made the joke to Mike recently. I I think I'm retired from writing the "This is how to get into Dragon Gate" piece because I've been writing Dragon Gate content for Voices of Wrestling for in july it'll be eight years and that is every cork and hall show with you know a few here and there that because of my schedule mike has had to fill in and do the review for that's every big five pay-per-view uh and you know a bunch of auxiliary shows and then columns and opinions sprinkled in there i've been doing it for eight years and throughout so many eras so many different ways to watch the product on various streaming services and, and links and websites that videos are hosted on through different eras of the company, through different units that the company has has, uh, has uh, uh, brought on. You know, the roster has changed. I've done so many, this is how to watch Dragon Gate articles. And I just, I don't have it in me anymore to do that. Yeah,
1: yeah and, and, and like the whole, like, dragon gate guys not getting booked on the indies that kind of speaks to where we're at with the indies as well no i mean look i
2: i watched i watched mlj who i i believe i referred to him as a quote dud of a human when i reviewed some dragon gate gcw matches but i watched shun skywalker come into gcw and they knew nothing about him they didn't know what his signature moves were called they called moves that were other moves the wrong name? It's just, it was a waste of time. It was a waste of time for them to come to America. He's, just,
1: he's there laughing in the ring. Like exactly. His... It,
0: yeah.
2: You know, it was a hacky Luke Skywalker joke mixed in, I'm sure. And Dragon <laughs> Gate last year was really serious about coming to America and regaining some sort of presence in North America. They but had...
1: in the But the Indies are so different than they exactly. were when they and, came. and I
2: think they found that out. I mean, they had serious expansion plans to really make it
1: seemingly make it all the guys visas. Like that didn't, that's not something that's they
2: got, they got all the guys visa with visas with the exception of Takuma Fujiwara who debuted at the end of 2021 and was so good that six months later, they were like, shit, this guy has to go on excursion so we can, eventually bring him back and push him he's the only one that didn't get one that's that's not something
1: you do super easy like quickly and easily as no exactly like that takes like dedication so you know they had plans and it's just you know it's the state of the indie wrestling like i remember the you know the velocities um you know great tag team from australia they had um a couple of really memorable matches with aussie open and they were in los angeles this year for wrestlemania weekend and like they had very sparse bookings, and I think they, I think they were on like one or two shows. And I, I think they, one of them, said something about like, yeah, we just we were around, no one wanted to book us. And it's like, think about all that, cra- all the crappy people that were booked on various, like WrestleMania weekend shows. And you had like this awesome team from Australia that could have been a highlight on what any show you put out there. And instead, they were just doing nothing because I don't know the promoters aren't plugged in. They can only work with the same people that are happy to work for a hot dog and a handshake um it just it goes kind of goes to show that it is a different era of indie wrestling and especially when it comes to international talent that maybe has a name somewhere else whether that's in Europe whether that's in Japan whether that's in Australia whether that's in Mexico um but they can come to the U.S. and they could be some people that could bring something new and something innovative to to the U.S. indie scene but if the promoters aren't on top of it or they're not interested in bringing in those talents then they're never going to get a chance to kind of showcase that. I don't would 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 do fixer versus blood generation happen on today's indie scene. Would someone book that to happen? Uh, maybe if you they, they,
2: they would they would they would have to consult, you know, somebody that would know something that's up, you know, something that's cool, but I I don't believe you know, we, we've had this conversation before. Of, okay, you know, if Dragon Gate's going to make an impact in America, they have to go through GCW. It's just the unfortunate aspect of it. And we, you know, nobody in GCW, uh, the, the office, knows anything about Dragon Gate. So you have to rely on somebody that they trust to say, these are the six guys you book. And then it's a conversation of, well, wait, who are the six guys that you book? And, you know, it's just, it, it's not meant to be in the current setting.
1: Yeah, I mean, they could go through AEW potentially. I, would be, it'd be
2: great, you know. Uh, at least uh, Excalibur
1: will know the moves and prepare himself.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, La Estrella and I think it was, I think it was SP Kento. Now I got to double check this real quick because I fire up the cage match, but they did one dark match last year. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, SP Kento and La Estrella. They did a dark match against Dante Martin and Matt Seidel, and uh, SP Kento got hurt at the end of the match, and so it never aired. So huh. that, you know, there, there was, there like was t- an awesome there. match too. Yeah, it's, it, it kicks out because Matt Seidel is still in tune with these guys. I mean, he, yeah. he knows what's up. You know, he follows Gate to this day and he has the utmost respect for all those guys. So it, yeah, it, it sounded awesome, but uh, the, I guess the finish was really messy and so it never aired.
1: No, that makes sense too. Well, I, and I know like um SB Kento and Shun Skywalker were both in the, uh, the, the bot battle of Los Angeles earlier this year. And, I mean,
2: and they got, they got good feedback, but, Especially Sp Kento, that match with Brian Keith was mm-hmm. uh, was a big hit with people, and Brian Keith is one of those guys that gets it. I'm I'm almost surprised he doesn't have a contract just because he had a a minuscule amount of buzz to kind of go back to what we were talking about at the start of the show. But it's you know, PWG hit. PWG used to be the place where things happen, and
1: now it is this just this n- wasteland. Well, I think it's just I don't th- I I mean i wouldn't call it a wasteland but it's cultural relevancy i think i mean r- really what happened was what ha- was happening in pwg the best of what was happening in pwg just started happening in aew it's the same way with the best of what was happening in of or happened in aew and so uh, pwg shows are really good but they are not nearly as seen as tastemakers or innovators um the way that they used to be because in large that's because AEW has has taken over for them that seems like more of a natural progression than anything yeah yes like, i
2: i would agree i like, mean look the, the epicenter of wrestling shouldn't be a 200 person building in Rosita, california it's it's a shame that we move past that but it's also for the best from an industry standpoint yeah
1: um all right case okay, so you got anything else you want to plug um I know we, you know, we've mentioned your podcast several times, but feel free to plug it again. Yeah, I'm,
2: I'm going to plug it one more time. Uh, Open the Voicegate podcast. New episodes typically every Wednesday on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. It's me and Mike Spears, and we, we do a lot of historical Dragon Gate coverage. We do obviously, you know, week to week show reviews, big opinion, big opinions, big takes. It, it's a very exciting time to be a Dragon Gate fan. They're a month and a half away from their biggest show of the year, and. There's a lot of di- different directions they can go with their main event that are very exciting. It's uh like I said, it's a, it's a good time to hop onto the promotion if you if you've always wanted to start watching Drangy, Now is a good time to get involved. Feel free to send me a DM if you want any help watching it. Uh, yeah, and-, and uh, you can you can follow me on Twitter at underscore in your case.
1: Yeah, and and you know, I I really think obviously not a ton of people follow Drangy, but I I do think Jay does an amazing job. For his role. Oh, yeah,
2: there's there's English commentary with with Jay, who has been the go-to guy for everything Toriyama and Drangate since, like, 2002. He's a guy from Buffalo. He moved to Japan. He now does English commentary with Ho-Ho Loon, who you might remember from the Cruiserweight Classic. They have a, a genuinely very charming rapport in the commentary booth because ho-ho is distracted by everything and is a wacky kind of funny guy and jay is the driest human i've ever come in contact with but together they are a very good wrestling announcer yeah
1: like ho-ho loon is an objectively absolutely terrible uh color commentator but the dynamic (laughs) makes it work and i actually i really like him Like yeah, they
2: they are they are they are very good at what they do. Even if just describing what they do just does not make any sense to anybody that hasn't experienced that. He is
1: not Jesse Ventura. He's not Taz. (laughs) Like he's not Bobby Heenan. He's he's just like he, he. He's he's very there, but the it definitely works with, with Jay and and Hoho Loon. And-
2: it, it's a little bit like so Jay is the most knowledgeable Drangate person there is. And even though he and Hoho have been doing commentary together for three years now. Every show is, like, watching Dragon Gate with the most knowledgeable guy there is and seemingly somebody who has never seen Dragon Gate before in their entire lives. And that is their dynamic.
1: Yeah, and it it, it honestly works if you're in... Like, it really worked, like, especially when they were first starting out because, oh, Loon would be like... Wait, how come that guy doesn't like that guy? Yeah. Be like, well, ho, oh, oh, that's because two years ago they were in the faction, you know, they were in this faction together and they got in a split and like oh, oh okay, okay, okay. And it like it 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 weirdly works. Um It
2: it really does. Yeah, and I and I um
1: yeah, like I like I you know, I, I will i watch a Dragon Gate show and I'll hop in the Dragon Gate channel in the VOW Discord and I'll just fire off my uh my casual fan parachuting intakes
2: yeah, I, oh, I saw thanks. your comments on Shoon Skywalker. I wasn't I wasn't too thrilled with that. but uh, that's that's okay.
1: What did I say? I, I can't even remember what I said about Shun. I said his outfit uh, is bad, which is true. I, I believe you compared his screaming
2: to one of Seth freaking. He Ron, was kind of so like, like he was he was
1: kind of being like he was freaking <laughs> like what this guy was just laughing in the ring. I was like, hey say, man, I don't know, I don't know what I did to you, but I, I don't <laughs> I don't need that in the Discord. That's not know, cool, man. <laughs> but it is helpful to go in and actually ask. And, and you know, there is a dedicated regu- In addition to yourself and Mike, there's a ded- There is a a small dedicated group of of regular Dragon Gate watchers. Um, that can, you know, if you answer questions, if you want to watch a show, or um, just just it's, tr- and...
2: it's truly the mo- the most enthusiastic fan base there is in the sense that it's the opposite of gatekeeping. We would love everybody to watch. Drangi. Just want to, it to be... share it with everyone. We this just, is... it's so good. That's what I always try to stress to people. It's so good, and they do so many things right that other wrestling companies don't. And when people get frustrated at other wrestling, I think. Well what if you just watch Dragon Gate because the thing you're complaining about they are doing and they're doing it very well.
1: Yeah and it's it's also like it's 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 got this all right there's a lot of there's a lot of people on the roster. There's a lot of factions. There's a lot of history that is very important to a lot of these storylines and angles and things that are going on. But it's not a particularly difficult promotion to watch.
2: No, it, it's uh, it's built like, off of a baby face versus heel dynamic. I mean, they okay, this yeah. will be my final point because I do have to run in a second, but they keep kayfabe alive more than any of their promotion on the planet. If you follow these guys on social media, the baby faces travel in one bus, and then the sole heel unit, either they are on that bus and they are completely hidden, or my understanding is they have a different mode of transportation to get to the buildings. When you see these guys out at dinner after the shows, they are always with their unit. You know, Jason Lee and KZ are in a unit called Natural Vibes. Those guys are at dinner together. Jason Lee and, uh, um, of course, I'm going to forget every Dragon Gate wrestler on the planet. You know, Jason Lee and BB Hulk, they're in different units. They do not go to dinner together. It it is a – everybody thinks of Dragon Gate as this, like, progressive, futuristic style of wrestling. They do the old school things better than anybody else.
1: Yeah, and it's like and because it's all everyone is in a faction, like you really you don't really necessarily need to know the allegiances of every single individual in the promotion. You can just be like, oh, that guy's wearing all gold. That must mean he's in gold class, which means he's a heel. It's like that guy's wearing like reggae style colors. Oh, that must mean he's a natural vibes. That must yes. mean he's a baby face. And oh it's intuitive.
2: It, it, it it's intuitive. You will put it together just by watching the promotion. Yeah, it
1: doesn't really yeah, there's there's obviously a rewarding aspect of it that comes from watching, you know, closely, but you don't have to to enjoy it. It's kind of like the Marvel movies to to for lack of a better comparison. Like the idea is that if you're if you watched every single Marvel movie, there's a connectivity and stuff that's rewarded to you as a fan, but you can also have never seen any of them before and still enjoy yourself watching it.
2: I think that's a very, very good way of putting it.
1: All right, well, I want to thank Case for being on the show. I want to thank everyone for listening. Um, This show, of course, is available through any of your favorite podcast app of choice. Um, Appreciate all the support we've gotten uh, for the podcast over the last few episodes. And I look forward to talking about some of the biggest issues in wrestling moving forward. And I'll see everyone again in the future.